My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. This morning, my sermon title is, well, it was a little long, and it, it, it was, it's sort of an academic title. Three Roles of the Holy Spirit, colon, Pentecost as the Antidote to Meaninglessness, and I realized that sounded too much like I was writing a paper. So in order to spare you, I shortened it to the Three Roles of the Holy Spirit. Our text this morning will be looking primarily at the text from Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. And today, brothers and sisters, is the great feast of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles. And today we will not be focusing our attention primarily on the text from Acts and John, even though we may refer to them here and there, uh, looking today at St. Paul's words, because... The text from Romans was written by St. Paul many, many years after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. And we know from the reading from Acts that the Holy Spirit being poured out upon them energized them to boldly proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ with a wisdom and a zeal that they did not previously possess. And actually thinking about it, it's interesting how even though the, some of the disciples that were zealous, such as Peter, that zeal for the Lord was channeled finally towards its proper end. And St. Paul lays out for his hearers, his readers, and for us today, something important about their and our having received the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to look at the three roles of the Holy Spirit that we should uh, get from this text here in Romans chapter 8. And these three are not completely exhaustive. The first one we should note is that the Holy Spirit is God. He says in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Around the year 375, one of our fathers in the faith, St. Basil the Great, wrote his classic work on the Holy Spirit. And he wrote this because of a group of people he termed the Nematamakoi, or the Spirit Fighters. And he didn't mean this in the sense of people who like fight each other spiritually or whatever but rather to people who fight against the Holy Spirit by claiming that the Holy Spirit is not fully divine. In other words, they claimed by saying this that the Holy Spirit is not God. And so he rightly took them to task because in worship they decided to use different doxologies of praise to God which wound up subordinating the Holy Spirit. And he noted that though the church used differing but non-contradictory ways to speak of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father and the Son. He highlighted the works of the Holy Spirit found in Scripture, that those are works that are attributed to God alone. Commenting on 1 Corinthians 2.11, he said, But the greatest proof of the conjunction of the Spirit with the Father and the Son is that he is said to have the same relation to God which the Spirit in us has to each of us. For what is man, it is said, who knows the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God no man knows, but the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit is not a spiritual emanation, nor is the Holy Spirit an it, 
The Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the most holy trinity. The Spirit of God is God. And on Pentecost, he was poured out upon us and remains with us and in us, marking us as God's own family and channeling our zeal for God towards its proper end and helping us to be transformed into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The second role of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption, which St. Paul says here in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. As those who have been led by the Spirit of God, we are no longer children of darkness, but we are now children of the light. We are no longer sons of the evil one, we are sons of the Holy One. Now we need to note right away that the word sons here isn't exclusive to men. Because remember, St. Paul notes elsewhere that all are one in Christ. And he's not using the word sons here because of patriarchal tyranny. He's not using the word sons here because he has it in against women and he's trying to subordinate them. When he says the term sons of God, he's talking about a particular class of people. Genesis 6-2 says, The sons of God saw the daughters of man were attractive and they took as their wives any they chose. In Job 1 verse 6 it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And in Psalm 89 verse 6 it says, For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of God is like the Lord? And lastly, in Luke 20, 36, it says, For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So to be adopted as sons, this, this, this phrase, sons of God, in the Old Testament is a reference to divine beings who serve Yahweh, the God of Israel, and the God we worship as Christians. To be a son adopted into God's family, well, let me put it to you like this. My father, also Michael Landsman, he, his, his biological father was my grandpa Fish. And so when my dad was born, he was Michael Udell Fish. Uh, when his parents divorced and his biological father moved away, my grandpa George married, met and married my nana. And that was George Landsman. And he had such a great relationship with my dad that he wound up adopting my dad legally. And my dad dropped his old surname, Fish, and legally was adopted by my grandpa George and became Michael Udell Landsman. Even though he wasn't initially part of grandpa George's family, biologically, he was still legally adopted into my grandpa George's family and took his own name. And being adopted as sons of God is similar to this in the sense that our act of adoption is accomplished by the Holy Spirit that was given to the church at Pentecost. But it's even greater than this because to become a son of God is to share in the life of Christ that we initially enter into at our baptisms when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As a friend of mine, Father Stephen DeYoung notes, to be sons of God means that we are heirs of the promises, fellow heirs with Christ, of glorification and of coming to share in Christ's glory, 
the glory of the resurrected and reigning one. If we are to rule and reign with Christ as his resurrected and glorified sons, as St. Paul reminded the church in Corinth, and St. John reminded the church at Thyatira, plug, come to Revelation class on Wednesday night and you'll hear really great stuff like this, then we are no longer slaves to sin, and we do not have to fall back into fear. Well, you ask yourselves, okay, well, what does he mean, fear? He says, we did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. What fear is he speaking of? Well, that fear is the fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The fear of death St. Paul is referencing here in Romans is referenced also in Hebrews. The fear of death. We have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Death has no power over us. Jesus' death and resurrection has rendered death powerless. Hell cannot hold us. Satan cannot hinder the sons of God nor keep them in his domain because Christ has broken his rule and his power. And if that power is broken, then the power of sin, which works hand in hand with death, is broken as well. And this is why sin is such a serious business, my brothers and sisters, because when we sin, we fall back into, or we take a step back to the spirit of slavery that used to hold us, that Christ has delivered us from. But the spirit has been given to us that we can be strengthened to live lives pleasing to the Lord. The third role is the spirit of witness. St. Paul says in verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Because we have been given the spirit, we as God's adopted sons and daughters can cry out and call him father. Only those who have been given new life in Christ can call God father. It is true that in one sense, God is the father of all. Because all of us derive our life from him and every single human being bears his divine image. But only the Christian can lay claim to the familial term Abba. Only the Christian can truly call God Father. And God as our Father is the best father that could ever be. And that should be comforting for those who had terrible fathers. There are many people who have had terrible fathers. And so when they hear this term father applied to God, it makes them recoil. But God as our father loves us deeper than a father ever could. And seeks our good. But only the Christian possessing and led by the spirit of God can dare to call God father. The Holy Spirit bears witness in us that we belong to God, not as slaves, but as heirs. We are no longer outsiders in the household. We have been made to inherit the inheritance of the household that only belongs to the Son designated by the Father. And so the Spirit given to us is the witness of that incorporation into the household of God. 
And our glorification with Christ depends on this gift and the degree to which we align ourselves with him, suffering as he did. As St. Paul says, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. If the Spirit dwells in us, we are now the temple in which God dwells. This means holiness. This means sobriety. This means resisting that which the world affirms as good. This means subordinating our pride to him. This means serving and loving others the way Christ served us. This will cause us to suffer, brothers and sisters. And indeed, we may suffer loss. But may we respond like St. Paul, who said in Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for his sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's put this together a little bit as we conclude. So, last night in Philadelphia, there was a shooting that left three people dead and ten people wounded. And the night before last in Philadelphia, there were nine other shootings, killing one pregnant woman and wounding eight others. The other day, this past week, there was a murder of a family by an escaped prisoner. Also this week, a group of children were brought into a gay bar for a drag show where the kids were invited to walk with the performers and encouraged to give them dollar bills. Both of these, all of these events, I should say, highlight something in our culture. The loss of something in our culture. And even though culturally we have vestiges of the moral framework given to us by the Judeo-Christian tradition, our culture is now functionally nihilist. To be nihilist means that there is no objective truth. That there is no objective morality. Basically nothing, if you take it to its logical conclusions, nothing really matters. There's no God, there's no truth. There's no truth. What did Jesus say the Holy Spirit was in the reading from John? The spirit of what? The spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. And so as Christians, we bear in us the spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth is coming up and clashing with the spirit of nihilism, of meaninglessness. The ancient world suffered from violence and sexual confusion as well. And it was into this world that the spirit of God was poured out. And it is only by the spirit that our suffering is given any meaning. And it's only by the Spirit of God, God's working in and through us, even God's giving of the Spirit to us gives us meaning. It grounds us in truth, the truth of who we are as human beings, the truth of what is wrong with us and what is wrong with the world, and the truth of what God has done in Christ to redeem this world. It is only then in the light of that meaning that we are sustained in our suffering. It is only in 
the light of Pentecost and the giving of the Spirit laid out before the apostles and their successors and their churches and to us today, meaning that is transcendent, glimmering, and glorious. We are gathered as the people of God and tasked with the witnessing to the love and the grace of Christ which transforms and heals the human heart and the world. To be given the Holy Spirit, to be brought into God's family means that no matter who you are or what has happened to you, that in Jesus Christ you will shine like the stars in the sky. You will shine like the angels. That just as Christ was glorified, you are on that path to glorification. And the Spirit has been given to us to, in order to accomplish that. And so the antidote to the nihilism and the meaninglessness of our culture, the loss of truth, the loss of objective morality, the loss of meaning that turns people into aimless Icons of death. The spirit can inhabit and transform them into living icons. Into icons of life. Icons that radiate the presence of the spirit in our broken and meaningless culture. Whose only answer to cultural horrors. Well, there aren't any. The only answers to everything that happens on the left and the right in our culture is political. But as Christians, we offer something that transcends politics. We offer reincorporation into the God who loved us and made ourselves for union with him. And so may the Holy Spirit poured out upon the apostles and given to us in our baptisms and confirmed in us at our confirmations be glory along with the Father and the Son forever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit. Act in me, O Holy Spirit. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit. Guard me, O Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Zion's Stone Church. We're in the middle of a building repair campaign, and if you'd like to help, please go to www.gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We'd appreciate anything you'd be able to donate. If you're ever in the area, you're always welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m. God bless you.